This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Hey, good morning. It is April 10th, the day after Easter Sunday. 59 degrees outside our studio. The high today at 67. No precipitation, although you know how that goes. Uh, anything can happen here in the uh, Mobile area. I'll be with you uh, through 9 o'clock today. Uh, Mark is on vacation, so we will probably not have much with movie reviews this week. I do have our first guest host. Uh, from the Washington Nationals. I want to thank them for allowing Dan Jennings to come in. I'm surprised you're in town. It's good to see you. Hey, Easter Sunday brought me home, and the way that uh, minor league baseball is scheduled right now, Monday's an off day throughout the uh, throughout the minor league. So it's great to see you. Great to be a uh, uh, guest here. And, uh, man, what a busy weekend. you got a lot of stuff to talk about, Lee. I do. And, and Nick's going to join us, too. We have a lot of NBA. We have a lot of golf. But our headlines as we start the day, John Rahm wins the Masters. That will be uh, talked about much on this show today. The Rays have won their ninth in a row to begin the season. They're on a record-breaking pace. The T-Wolves, Rudy Gobert, has sent home after punching his teammate Kyle Anderson during yesterday's win over the Pelicans. Beckham is a Raven. And speaking about minor league baseball, we had a no-hitter in minor league baseball where a team lost and gave up seven runs. That's another subject we'll get to also. Uh, Nick, good morning. Trust you had a wonderful Easter. Yeah, it was pretty good. I just got back from Atlanta yesterday and went and watched them play the Sixers and lose in overtime, which was upsetting, but it was a fun trip. Well, it's funny you mention that because Bob Rathman, the TV voice of the Hawks, will join us in the 8.30 hour. Danny, the Masters. So John Rahm starts off day one with a double bogey. He winds up winning by four shots. All he had to do yesterday was overcome 30 holes, a marathon, because of all the rain and everything. He had to basically compete against Brooks Kepka. And my storyline coming into the weekend, would we have a live golfer coming down the stretch versus John Rahm PGA? We did, but by the time they got to, what, around the 16th or 17th, it was pretty well over. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, watching it, which we all do, uh, the beautiful thing about the Masters, it's the Super Bowl of golf. And the casual fan watches, uh, the guys who love golf, the guys and girls who love golf, we watch it. But I think, like you uh, led in with, this was a marathon. This was a true test of endurance. These guys had to go out, finish off round three, and then get a chance to play round four. And you have two of the best guys in the world coming down the stretch. And um, it just looked to me a little bit like Kepka. Uh, I, th I think from a strength standpoint, kind of melted. And John Rahm just kept the pressure on, kept making great shot after great shot, and uh, eventually separated himself. You know, the, the thing about the live and the PGA, it was a big deal at one time, you know, almost like they tried to create 
two entities and, and pit them against each other. But no one's eliminated from the Masters. They all play. And so I think that's great for the game of golf. If you really want to look deep into this or dive further conspiracy, because if you look at Brooks Kepka's history, and he had a, a four-shot lead starting the well, to finish the third round. I think he went like 22 holes without a birdie yesterday. But let's get back to his history. He had won, I think, three majors. Right. And every time he had led after 54 holes, he won. So he had the 54-hole lead yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, he had the lead after the finish of the third round. He led by two. Do you think, and it could go either way, the fact that I know he's had some physical issues but then he joins the Live Tour, and the Live Tour, basically, not as many events and 54 holes. You don't play 72. Do you think endurance played any part in this? Uh, I do, yes. I do think endurance. That's My boys and I were discussing it yesterday, and that's what it looked like down the stretch is that after uh, when they got on the back nine uh, yesterday, it looked like he was melting away a little bit, and Rom just kept his foot on the accelerator. So 100%, I agree with that, Lee. I didn't realize Liv only played 54, not the 72, so you educated me there. But I definitely think that that was a factor. And they don't play every week, much like the PGA. And not that Rom plays every week. I don't know what his schedule is. So he elevates to number one. I think he's the fourth Spaniard. And it's funny how things come together. This was, uh, you know, his hero was Seve Ballesteros. And I think yesterday would have been Ballesteros' 66th birthday. You know, he passed away, I think, 2011. Yep. So that was an inspiration to John Rahm also. But he, he just, like, seemed to get better. And, and, again, I don't know what it's like to play. What they play? 18? How many? Uh, probably about... How many holes did they go yesterday total? Um, Third round, fourth round. Yeah, I think he ended up with uh he ended up with 30? 29 holes, 29. maybe 30, yeah, because he had a putt uh for a birdie to begin to finish round 3 or the start round 3. So, and you know what, it, I heard an interview uh driving over with uh him and his love and he idled Seve Ballesteros and I think that uh that was the second time that a Spaniard had won on Seve's birthday, which was also Easter Sunday. And uh, it uh, he truly gave a lot of praise and uh, appreciation for what he meant, you know, to uh, the Spanish golfers. So I'm watching, as you did, and, you know, I got my eye on the leaderboard, and I keep seeing Phil Mickelson creep up into there. And I'm like, wait a second, what's going on here? Talk about going back in history. He becomes the oldest runner-up ever in the Masters. He wound up with a 65, which I think is ties his best record ever in the Masters. So he's sitting in the uh, clubhouse. I don't know if he's in Butler's cabin, but he's in the, somewhere. And so if, as Kepka nosedived and took a dive, if Rom also, instead of playing as well as he did with a 69, if he had lost some strokes, you're looking at Mickelson maybe being tied or maybe going into the lead. There was an eagle putt that Mickelson went for and missed. Had he sank that, we may have had a totally different outcome. And the great part about watching Mickelson is he uh, – uh, there's something about the great ones. They get in such a rhythm that last day. 
And, man, his back nine, I think he birdied five of the nine holes and uh, and really was on fire, just kept the pressure on. So you had a Sunday um, marathon golf. You had big names on the, on the leaderboard. Most everybody on that board was well-known, all right, and had competed for championships, even Cantley yeah. coming on strong at the end. Um, let's let's go back a little bit. Uh, Tiger Woods. I know many people were probably disappointed that he withdrew. I don't blame him, but I heard some commentary coming in. Did he withdraw because he didn't think he had a chance to win or because he was really hurt, injured? Just watching him, uh, you know, when he was trying to walk uh, to get under the umbrella uh, during the rainstorm, uh, that was a man in pain. And, um, you know, probably a little bit of both, quite honestly. But I think when you look at the level that, let's face it, people tune in to watch golf when Tiger's involved. It just is what it is. The ratings go up. People love him. He's a great champion. He's now 23 times uh, made the cut, tied a record on making the cut for the Masters. And probably so that he didn't taint his image and or the quality of golf at the Masters, I think he felt it best to withdraw and and did the right thing for what we have come to expect of Tiger. Did you have a dog in the hunt? Were you rooting for anybody in particular? You know what? We uh, So we do a little fun game on the side. And so, yeah, I was pulling for Kepka. Um, the guy that I really needed to go was uh, Spieth. And he he did get hot down the stretch, but not enough to uh, to stop. John Rahm was just uh, phenomenal. Watching him and, and the shots that he made to give himself uh, – opportunities for birdies just tremendous you know to me what the the biggest surprise was that nobody got hurt when the trees fell saturday i don't know how didn't if i i saw it a couple of times not in real time but that somebody was actually between the two trees that fell how in the world did that 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 miss a spectator And, and thankfully it did that could have been a horrible, horrible tragedy. It, to watch that in slow motion, uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, stations that showed it that way, and uh, it was a miracle of God not to have someone injured or killed uh, when those two trees fell. So Rom elevates to number one now in, in the World Golf Rankings, and I, I think we have to go back also. The, I know many of the golfers and others – talked about live versus PGA and I and I know the media overplayed it but I think during the four days up there it was all about the golf and that's what everybody really wanted Absolutely. to get away from the controversy and I didn't hear at the end with the interviews any anything in the interviews with Kepka or Rom being brought up well what does this mean for the PGA or does this is this a black mark on live golfers mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything like that I think everybody was gracious. The thing, too, Phil Mickelson, this is one of the very few tournaments I can remember where he let his playing outplay his mouth. Because, you know, he's normally outspoken. Right. And oh, as yeah. you know, at the uh, golfer's dinner, the uh, Scheffler uh, champion dinner, mm-hmm. he, he I heard interviews. He didn't say anything. He just stayed out of it. Right. Very quiet. And then all of a sudden yesterday, here he comes. Man, oh, man. It was fun to watch. It just, it, to me, you truly know you're seeing the best in the world. But when you get an opportunity to watch these guys, when they get in that zone, 
and the shots they can make and uh, to, to watch them read the greens and the speed of the putts that they make, especially at the Masters, and that, that if it rains, it's slow. If the sun comes out or the wind's out, it speeds up. And they're tremendous at the ability to do that and, uh, and make the putts that they make. Is this your favorite major? Oh, without a doubt. I think it's the favorite of the world, quite honestly. It's funny, yesterday, Lee, I was flying back from uh, uh, Memphis into Mobile, and uh, when we left Atlanta in first class, they have these TV screens on the back of the seats. And as I scanned the, uh, the seats, all but two of the TVs were tuned in to the Masters. So it just tells you how people love this, uh, love this event and uh, what it means to the casual and the avid golfer. You're a casual golfer. So when you're watching this, and somebody misses a putt, do you ever sit there and say, I could have made that? Absolutely I can't not. Believe, I can't believe no. you missed that. <laughs> no, because I've missed way too many. I, I mean, I saw Brooks Kepka miss a couple of putts in close, and I'm thinking, gosh, could Danny say, I could have made that? <laughs> oh, you could say it, but you couldn't do it. I mean, I guess you can say anything. It just it marvels me at the shots they make, the way they you know, they draw it, they fade it. and uh, But the part for me that just – um, is amazing is how they read the greens and the speed of the greens just phenomenal all right we're going to take a break when we come back i want you to put your thinking caps on and think back to any fights fisticuffs among teammates during a game now one speaks loud to me but this goes back in baseball history i may have to think about i'm sure we've seen others but maybe not as publicized as yesterday's was during the T-Wolves win over the Pelicans. So, and of course, you've been in the dugout. I don't know, maybe you had to intercede with teammates uh, back when, but that was crazy what happened with the T-Wolves yesterday. Dan Jennings sitting in for Mark Heim. He'll be away until Friday. I'm Lee Shervanian. Nick's on the board, and we're going to take a break so you can get caught up on the weather as well as traffic and a uh, sports scoreboard, all coming up on WNSP and WNSP.com. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. standpoint this is not just another monday this is post masters post easter and the nba which came to a regular season finale yesterday and i'm not going to get into this too much now because obviously if i get nick involved in this it'll probably go on for an hour but you know i was looking over the scores yesterday and i gotta tell you there are very few names i recognized meaning that a lot of the guys sat yesterday out uh and, and as we talk about that, and Nick, we'll get to this in the third hour, uh, the NBA is investigating Dallas for tanking on Friday. And you know what? We will get to this before, because you may have some thoughts on this also, Danny. But yesterday, I would say highlight, or would you say low light? The fight between teammates during a second quarter huddle, Rudy Gobert, who, by the way, 
only cost the T-Wolves first four, four first-rounders and a bunch of other players, leveled Kyle Anderson. Anderson said something to him, which we can't mention on the air. <laughs> wasn't very nice. And Gobert just went off. Later apologized. But the team sent him home. And I don't know if his status, what he's gonna, what's going to happen. Do you, Nick, do you, is this Gobert going to play against the Lakers? Or do we know yet? Or I'm not sure. He, he issued an apology, so we'll see how that all smooths over. I mean, hopefully he's able to play for the Timberwolves' sake. Not only that, they also lost Jaden McDaniel, another key player, because in the first quarter he, he got upset and uh, tried to, I guess, hit some brick or some wall and fractured his hand, so he's out. So, Danny, I would ask you, in sports, any sport, can you ever remember a team where you had conflict among team members that was well-publicized as it was yesterday? You know what? I think back over, you know, watching TV, it happens a lot. It actually happens more than people think. Usually, it doesn't spill out onto the field of play or the court. It's handled inside the clubhouse. There have been many, many fights inside a clubhouse or a locker room. There's good in that because it means there's some player that's holding other players accountable. And you know what? Not everyone has that ability to do, to keep the standard where the standard needs to be. You hope that it doesn't spill over into guys that, that fight or, or, you know, get in a shoving match. Uh, you think back to Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent had the blow up on the bench. Uh, right here in our home state, our beloved University of Alabama, Barrett Jones and A.J. McCarron go off at the championship game. Uh, many cases of managers and players, Lou Pinella, Rob Dibble, uh, Billy Martin, uh, Reggie Jackson, for sure. And, yeah, I mean, I think we could probably name plenty where you've seen this happen on the sidelines or during the game, but to where it physically comes to blows against one another, uh, not, not a lot. As manager of the Miami Marlins, did you ever have to break up a fight among teammates? Um, I, had, I had to get in between players and coaches, um, uh, when coaches felt like guys were dogging it a little bit, I had to get in between that. Um, never between uh, two teammates, although there were times when guys would get mouthy with each other, but it never come to blows. I, I can remember when we had Ozzie Guillen as a manager and we had some blow-ups in the dugout, and Ozzie would make the coaches get away and say, let them fight, let them fight. We need the energy. And so his mindset was to let them go, and usually it would simmer down and nothing ever happened. Nick was this out of the ordinary yesterday what happened in the T-Wolves game I mean yeah you, you don't see Rudy Gobert punch a teammate very often but here's a fun little uh side note I guess so do you remember when Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole do you remember that well uh after that Rudy Gobert sent out a tweet immediately after saying that basically criticizing Rudy Gobert and then after or no Rudy Gobert sent a tweet criticizing Draymond. And then right after Rudy Gobert punched Kyle Anderson, Draymond sent out the exact same tweet <laughs> that Rudy Gobert did when he punched him. So, I don't know. I, I, I guess the Lakers are probably feeling good uh, about to play them with all that dysfunction. And then maybe they'll have to play Memphis, which isn't a bad matchup for them. 
So, Gobert, we don't know his status. We know McDaniel is out. And I think back, that trade. And again, it's only been the first year. The T-Wolves bring in Rudy Gobert. They gave up, and uh, you guys can correct me, I think it was four first-rounders and a whole bunch of players. Yeah, Walker Kessler. How And Beasley. So, did this benefit the T-Wolves at all this year? Did they improve much? I mean... Maybe not as much in the win-loss column as you would want. Carl Anthony Towns was out a lot of the year, so it's kind of hard to tell. But, I mean, you're bringing in statistically one of the best defenders of all time. I don't really like the trade but because you can play him off the court really easily because he's such a liability on offense. You know what I remember Gobert most of all? He started the COVID that's right. He is the one that brought it all down. That's yep. right. He is the one that started and uh, mm-hmm. brought it all down. He's really bad about putting his hands where they're not supposed to be, huh? <laughs> I didn't know if you know this, but Nick's the uh, famous podcaster now with the NBA. Hey, Nick knows. Let me tell you what. When it's NBA, I just defer. He knows what he's talking about. Well, yeah, and we're going to take a break now. I'm going to catch up with my friend Justin Baker, who used to be the Bay Bears announcer. Uh, he covers all Atlanta sports. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the uh, Braves losing three out of four and still early. Maybe the Hawks game. Although I do have Bob Rathman scheduled later, the TV voice of the Hawks. But I also really want to get into, you know, he did a lot of minor league baseball. And the team that was involved in the no-hitter but lost used to be here in Mobile. That's correct. The but, the uh, Rocket City Trash pandas. Trash pandas. Yeah, I always forget the trash word. They gave up seven runs in the seventh inning and still had a no-hitter and lost. That line was unbelievable to see what happened and how that occurred. We'll talk to Justin about that, too. For Nick and Dan Jennings, I'm Lee Shervanian. 30 minutes in the books. Uh, We'll be here till 9, ushering in Dan Patrick. This is WNSP and WNSP.com. He is a Super Bowl winning champion, Zach Ertz. Um, he he said the text. I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase here, but he said that first green looking like a walk in the park or something like that right now. Ten minutes before I four putted to start the tournament. <laughs> so, thank you, Zach. <laughs> All right, it's John Ram. Winner of the uh, Masters up there in Augusta, not far from Atlanta. Let's join up with uh, Justin Baker, good friend of mine, former voice of the Mobile Bay Bears for 92.9. The game, he covers everything Atlanta. Good morning, Justin. How are you today? Good morning, Lee. Good morning, Dan. I'm doing great. Uh, Good to talk to you guys again. Well, with all that was going on yesterday, the Hawks were playing uh, you had, uh, let's see, and the Braves played last night. And, of course, golf. Where was your attention diverted to? Uh, um, both in golf, but I think mainly right now in the Braves. Um, you know, still even at, at six and four, uh, a hot start to the year. And um, trying to work their way through some injuries here early on. So that's kind of where the attention has been and I think will be for the summer. Um, no disrespect to the Hawks, who are, you know, trying to make their, their run with the play-in tournament. Um, I think they still have a good shot, but. Um, the Hawks are a lot like the Atlanta United team. You know, they get hot and then they need to change up a new head coach midseason all the time. So 
Uh, attention is definitely on the, the uh, 2021 World Series champion Atlanta Braves. Justin, I wanted to get you on to talk about, since you used to be the voice of the Bay Bears, they're now uh, the, uh, what is it, the Pandas, Trash Pandas, or something like that? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They had a no-hitter, and they lost the game 7-5. to five. Can you ever remember a game as crazy as that? I've seen a lot of weird stuff, and I know Dan can tell you, in a sport that's nearly 150 years old, it'll be 147 this year, and uh, if you look at minor league baseball by itself, over 121 years of history there, um, it's kind of amazing to me that through all, all that history, you can see something different and something new, um, as we did last week with Chattanooga and the, uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, the former uh, Mobile franchise. Um, to be able to have a no-hitter going into the seventh inning, um, you know, I know those kind of lose a little bit of their luster, obviously, because it's not a full nine. Um, but to have an incident where you have, like, like high prospects, these are guys that were drafted in the first couple of rounds, uh, come out and make some errors where you have, you know, I think it was five walks, four hit batters, and a drop fly ball out in the outfield um, by another high prospect to, to have a game in that way. Um, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know how you can exactly wrap your head around it if you're uh, in the stadium or in the clubhouses or even in the press box. So um, it was interesting to see. Uh, luckily, it's early on in the season. I don't, I don't think it will affect any of these, these younger guys. Uh, psychologically, and of course, that was game one of a doubleheader. They had to go out and play game two. So, um, yeah, that was, I've never, in all my years, I've seen a lot of weird stuff in the minors, been a part of it with the Bay Bears, but um, that one was new. <laughs> the, like you said, Justin, when the when you had the three, I think it was three walks, and then the drop fly ball, uh, that was that fly ball was dropped by uh, Jermaine Jackson, who is uh, a, a Mobile native, played it, uh, I think he played it St. Luke's, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, so they have him playing the outfield now because he used to be a shortstop. Yeah, I, I think probably they're they're uh, moving him around to different places, but I mean when you can score seven runs without a base hit and win, and and like you said, we've seen some crazy things in our game, but to see something like that and to watch it uh, to watch it come into seven runs and a and a, uh, and a no hitter is w- one of the weirdest ever. Plus the the, uh, the Angels relief pitcher was uh, Ben Joyce. We're, he he's like one of the hardest throwers in baseball. Was he didn't he play at either Tennessee or Arkansas? Was it Tennessee? Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee. So Justin um, as as we move on from there uh, San Diego took three out of four from the Braves after the Braves last week went to St. Louis and took all three games. So I know it's very early in the season. Many brave pitchers are coming off the injured list. So, you know, they're going to get healthy. What was your take on the, uh, the rookies who had such a sensational spring, but quite frankly, don't look like they're ready for the big time just yet. Schuster and uh, Dodd. Um, I mean, I thought they showed flashes of why they're, they're capable of being up in the big leagues this year. Now, I'll say that um, it's different when you're going up against a lineup like the Padres versus making your, your first couple of starts against the Marlins or you know maybe a team that doesn't have that kind of pop and that firepower. Um, you know, it's still a great experience. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest, too. Like, the Braves didn't really throw up a lot of runs and supported them as well. And, I, I mean, I'm not going to dismiss a 10-run, you know, performance from a pitching staff, but at the same time, um, there's a little bit of a confidence, and I thought Spencer Strider had said something to, you know, affected that earlier in the series. Like, he still gets nervous despite a great rookie campaign last year, and then he looks at his lineup and he feels better. But, um, you know, I don't know if it was the weather or whatever the case may be. Or let's just tip our cap to the Padres and their pitching staff. I thought Michael Walker threw a great game 
on Saturday night. But, I mean, you've got guys that um, are, are fully capable of, of making a run here at the pennant in the National League this year in the Padres. So to go up against those guys when you're that young, um, it's tough. And then also, I mean, Dan can speak to it well as well as just the idea that you're uh, you have a plan in place with your catcher, and I thought the injury to Travis Darnot, the uh, concussion there, made a bit of a difference. Um, Sean Murphy is a phenomenal backstop, especially defensively in the game that he calls. Um, but if you're not planning your game plan with your catcher that night, if you're expecting it to be one catcher and it's another, um, it does change it up a little bit. And I kind of felt like those guys uh, and Schuster, as well as Dylan Dodd, saw that play out this weekend. So um, you're going to see them probably move up and down a couple times as they need to you know, fill in for rotation spots. I think both guys will get some bullpen time. Um, but they showed flashes of why they need to be there. So um, we'll just call it a, a tough series against a very formidable opponent and see how they can bounce back after a couple starts in Gwinnett. All right, I'm going to ask both of you, because Dan, we'll start with you. Which team, in your opinion, has the best lineup, one through nine? Pure lineup? Pure lineup. I would say the Padres. I would say the Padres. Even without Tatis? Yeah, one through nine, what they have. Uh, there's really not a weak uh, really spot there. Phillies would be close, but the injuries to the Phillies, I think, have hurt them. The Padres, for me, firepower, hitting ability, that's the best one. What do you think? Yeah, it's hard to argue with Dan. I mean, if I had to take another team, you know, just for the sake of argument, you could argue the same division uh, and look at the Dodgers and what they bring to the table. I think one through nine, it's just as good. When, when both the Padres and the Dodgers are healthy at full capacity, I don't know how you can argue either one. And you're talking about one through nine in the lineup, and then uh, both teams with some really great starters and some good bullpen help there on the back end. Um, those those guys are going to go neck and neck, I think, again all season. You're going to see that. In the American League, obviously, you can take a look at the Yankees and make an argument there. Um, but, I mean, just watching that series this week and seeing this payroll play out the way it has, the Padres are all in for a reason. Um, you know, they're not afraid to spend that buck, and I thought they did a great job of assembling the team. And um, I mean, man, that, that lineup, I just don't know where you look at that lineup and say, okay, this is a guy that we can potentially put on and try and get an out in the next at-bat. Um, you've got to pitch everybody like, you know, they're the four-hole hitter because they, they have legitimately um, seven or eight guys that could potentially be a three- or four-hole hitter on any other team in the league. Absolutely, Justin. One thing I will say, Dodd and Schuster both, I, I saw a lot of them in spring training. The only thing that I saw that they really need to, I guess, finalize is how to slow the game down when it speeds up on them. And that's just youth. That's just, you know, you have to go out there, take the ball, learn how to do that. These two guys are going to be a big part of the Braves now and going forward. I don't disagree. And, Dan, I think the other thing, too, that kind of plays into their favor, and it does for a lot of these younger prospects, is having the pitch clock in the minor leagues, I think, has, has helped some of these young guys in the last couple of years with this transition now at the big league level. And the guys, that the veteran guys, the Scherzers of the world, um, they're going to find a way to pitch to it to, to their advantage. But I think if, you know, you're a veteran guy in a sense that um, didn't have to deal with this the last few years, you know, it's going to kind of be a little bit of an adjustment. But a veteran pitcher is going to be able to pick that up quicker. For the younger guys, you know, you're dealing with the speed of the game. And I think the only drawback is going to be those times when you're up in the big leagues and, uh, you're running into a little bit of a spot where you're, maybe you're missing your location a little bit or you're trying to get the right read on a guy, and the game just doesn't allow them to stop. You don't have that opportunity to come out and call a timeout and talk with your pitching coach a couple of times uh, throughout a start or deal with your catcher. And I think that's kind of going to be the transition that the younger guys are going to have to make. They're used to the pace of maybe the pitching, but when you run into a jam, can you take a deep breath like you would have maybe in the years past 
and then be able to kind of reset your mindset and refine the strike zone. No doubt. They outstuffed their way to the big leagues. Now at the big leagues, they're equal or better hitters, and you have to learn how to find the weaknesses and still trust your stuff, and that's what they're going to have to do. Absolutely. Justin, I can't thank you enough. I'll let you go, but I'll be in touch with you. You have a great day, all right? Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Enjoy your week. Take care, Justin. So what do you think of the Rays? 9-0. Wow. Best start since, I guess it was Kansas City maybe 20 years ago. Are they a team that can go all the way this year? They have the one thing, the old adage in the game. Good pitching stops good hitting. These guys can pitch. They've been pitching for a long time. They can pitch now. And they just appear every year to bring one, two guys up, plug them right in, and keep going. And, um, man, oh, man, you watch some of these guys led by McClanahan, and then you got uh, Rasmussen and uh, Springs, and they just keep coming at you. And not only can they pitch with stuff, their ability to locate and execute a pitch and set up the next pitch, just tremendous. And it's not a lineup that many people are familiar with, to be honest about it. I I don't know if... Firepower-wise, I would say it's kind of average, but they... What they do is they hang around long enough, and then they get you to walk a guy, make a mistake, boom, two-run homer, three-run homer, and then they shut you down. But here's where they're setting all kinds of records. All nine wins have been by four runs or more. And I think the record is... I'm I'm trying to get maybe 12 or so. Maybe I'm off on that, but set for winning like this, four runs or better to start the season. Man, that's impressive. I, um, I That was also a team I had in spring training, and uh, every day when I was at Tropicana Field, funny, they had spring training at the Trop because uh, the ballpark in Port Charlotte was damaged from the uh, hurricane. And, um, man, oh, man, each day they just run out guys, and you go, boy, this this kid for this age, very impressive. Another thing that I also know, you know, we talk about the rules and all that, but you know where one of the big changes in, in baseball is these days? Back when, when I, of course, when I started following, but back when, <laughs> teams and opponents didn't talk. And if they did, it wasn't nice. So I'm watching the Braves game yesterday, and Acuna gets to third, and he and Machado are just joking around. Right. Like it's a day in the park, or they're over at each other's houses sharing lunch or something. And it, it struck me just that in, in today's game, there doesn't seem to be any f- animosity towards your opponent. I could be wrong on that. And I'm sure there's some that would, you know, like let's say a guy that got leveled by a pitch or something like that. But it seems seems to me that times have changed. And, and, and again, I maybe it's because they have the same agent. Maybe it's because they came up together. But it seems to me it's like buddy-buddy out there and you're not – you want to win, but I don't. I don't sense the the killer instinct. I w- I would say that this is our generation we are in now, Lee. I don't know that I like it. I dislike it. You know, we we have a big thing in sports and baseball called makeup, and I judge that with what occurs between the lines. That for me lets me know all that I came to see about a player. And that effort and what they do between the lines truly determines it. Now, there are a lot of these guys played on WBC teams together. They live, you know, grew up in the same hometowns and or in, in the countries they were from. And I get it. But, I mean, you look at women's basketball, you had the trash talk, and you see it all the time. And 
football at at the college and the high school levels and it just uh it's just kind of where we are as a society and you know this generation feels like they need to do that either to show up their their opponent or cut up and joke around and um as long as they're competing in a way that allows their team to win i guess you just have to deal with it all right, I want to ask Danny when we come back, do we have tanking in baseball like we supposedly have in basketball? Currently, it's uh, 647 WNSB Sports Time, and uh, we'll be right back with more on that issue as the NBA investigates Dallas for what happened on Friday night. We'll tell you about it when we come back. This is Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSD 105.5. And now a pop fly into right center field. Josh Lowe is there, and he makes the catch to end this game. The Rays are winners. They knock off the Oakland A's 11 to nothing, and the Rays extend their winning streak. They are now 9 and 0. And not only that, they have won all nine by four runs or more. Gosh, you know, four growing up was my favorite number. So you had the Rays four plus. Rom wins by four after four putting to get his double bogey on the first hole Thursday, right? In the fourth month. Fourth month. Yes, there you go. Sir. What's your favorite number? Oh, up? for sure, seven. Mantle? Yes. Did you ever carry a baseball card of Mickey Mantle in your wallet? No, I never had one. I wish. I When I used to work, remember back when, when Wayne Gardner was yeah. co-host? Oh, yeah. He had a Mickey Mantle card in his wallet. I think Bob Costas said he did. But I hope it wasn't a 52 tops. They're worth a lot. I know. Mm. I was watching a TV show the other day, and the subject matter, believe it or not, it had to do with a stolen a stolen piece of merchandise. Mm-hmm. Was the same thing you're talking about? The Mickey Mantle card, fifty two rookie, oh, worth man. millions, big dollars. I mean, who's going to pay that kind of money? Seriously, uh, that's when you have enough money not to worry about a lot. All right, are you close to the age of sixty five, Danny? Are you? I'm. I'm getting there. Uh, yes, you may want to listen to this then. <laughs> Well, if you're uh, on the company insurance and trying to decide between your current coverage and Medicare, or maybe you want to change your Medicare coverage. So Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors has been in the Medicare business for more than 12 years. An independent agent, Aiden Marks, works with multiple carriers. He has helped hundreds of individuals of Mobile, Baldwin counties. His office is conveniently located in Daphne on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. There's never a fee for his services. So if you aren't getting any help on what to do with your insurance or if your company has been enrolling online with no explanation, give Aid Marks a call, 463-0031. All right, so I'm reading uh, about the Dallas Mavericks on Friday. Outside chance, slim but still a chance to reach the uh, postseason as a plan. They sit Kyrie Irving down. And there's about four or five others they sit down. And and next to it, in parentheses, they explain what the problem is. Injured this, injured that. And in one of them, believe it or not, rest. I'm like, wait a minute. You only have one more or two. This You have two more games to go, and the seasons could be over with. 
and you you sit a guy down to rest. What's wrong with that sport? There is a uh, there are some facts that are being misrepresented. I stood in the room before I went out to the ballpark and I listened to Jason Kidd's presser. First of all, I was shocked to hear the things I heard because usually nothing like that gets said out in a presser where it's, well, I'm doing what the front office has asked me to do. You're basically uh, indicting anybody who might have said, you know what, for the sake of the draft or the sake of, you know, the lottery picks, we'll tank. I, I was shocked to hear the things I heard him say at that press conference, and now I think it's led to the NBA wanting to uh, investigate it. I bet they won't do anything. Oh, I think if they found it, if I mean, if they can substantiate the fact that it was, I believe they will, yes. But, but, but players sit out all the time in the NBA. But if it was ordered from above then you're you're not giving the fans what they paid for, number one. Number two, you are, to some degree, determining outcome of the game by not having everyone available. Well, to if you're going to do that, what about Portland sitting down Damon Lillard, who I heard in an interview did not want to sit out? Yeah, I mean, that's, again, if these guys go public with it, whether it's a coach or a player, then you force the league basically to investigate the potential that they are tanking and not putting their best effort out to win. Yet the funny thing is that even without these players, these games are very close. You got these guys on the bench. And I was looking over. I did this on purpose. And, and podcaster Nick, I'm sure, wants to weigh in because he, he does not like when I bring this up. But I, I must have gone through every game yesterday, and I couldn't recognize the leading scorer on most of the teams. Well, when it's we the last week of the NFL season, how many players are you recognizing that are playing? Probably that's, not many, right? That's a good point. You know, teams get ready for the postseason, and they do that. But I and I agree with that. But I think when you are not going to the postseason, and you're doing it for the opposite reason, then that's not in the that's not in the best rules of parity to determine the amount of the balls that you get in the lottery pick and things of that nature. So I, I hear what you're saying, and you're right. That does happen, Nick. But, the yeah. uh, man, when I heard Jason Kidd's presser, I, it froze me to, to listen to what he was saying because basically he was implementing the fact that we're, we're sitting people to lose. Yeah, D Dallas is in a really tricky position, though, because if their pick this year doesn't fall in the top ten, it goes to New York, and then they don't even have a pick for the next four years, I don't think. Mm. So they technically, I mean, for the betterment of, I guess, the, a five-year future, they really needed to lose that game. Maybe You know, you can talk about the uh, whether it's right or wrong or not, but they need that top ten pick. That roster is horrible. So to me, if you punt that last game and you get that pick and you have a chance to get a really good talent to come out there with Luka and Kyrie, I figured you'd do it. Maybe you need to do it a little less obvious or something. Oh, I, I don't disagree with doing it. I think that's brilliant. I think that's an eye towards the future. And as a general manager, owner, you have to do it. I've sat in on enough of these meetings to know that those conversations take place, those things happen. But I will tell you, to bring it public – 
you're opening Pandora's box for this right. thing to be investigated, to be talked about. And like I said, when I was getting ready to head to the ballpark and I heard that presser, I'm like, oh, my God. But see, God. in the NBA, you're not guaranteed the first pick no. or the second. You're in with 13, what, and ping pong balls. Yeah. You could you could wind up with the 10th pick. And then there's no guarantee that, you know, that you're going to get a really good player. You already got two superstars on your team. You ought to be able to build around them if you're you got any kind of brains up in the front office. I agree. I mean, this year for the first time, Major League Baseball went to the lottery pick in the draft, and we had the worst record in baseball last year. And the way it worked out, um, we did not get the first pick, but we ended up with the second pick. Pittsburgh has the first pick in uh, in this year's coming amateur draft. So I hear what you say, and I like I said, I've sat in rooms. I've been part of many internal conversations that don't need to be aired publicly, and when they are, um, it just it's, it stunned me to hear what I heard. Danny, when we come back, we're going to check in with Rodney Orr, Tider Insider. You're going to talk to him about the uh, Crimson Tide scrimmage this past week by the way we were talking about the ravens signing odell beckham Mm -hmm. 18 million dollars guy didn't even play last year right that's high dollar the coach is john harbaugh it was just confirmed five minutes ago he will be on our show tomorrow morning at 6 30 a.m how about that nick you're gonna be ready to get him on the head coach of the ravens oh that's exciting Nick stays ready, Lee. Well, if it's not NBA, I can't get him excited. <laughs> well, he might get excited yeah. for that. We, we can ask him if they're getting Lamar back, right? I hope so. I, or else, I don't know if uh, Odell will be happy to be catching passes from Tyler Huntley. I have to wonder if that was part of. I think it is. I think so. Yeah, the carrot. Yep. All right, guys, we'll be back. Uh, two more hours to go. WNSP, WNSP.com. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, my good friend Mark is on vacation through Friday. He'll be back when we go out to uh, UMS Wright for our championship drive. My other good friend is Nick. He's behind the glass. Nick's going to be a big part of our third hour because we're going to be doing a lot of NBA. Bob Rathman's going to be on with us. Uh, Dan Jennings sitting in. He'll be leaving at at 8 this morning. Very important position coming up for Dan. (laughs) My favorite position, without a doubt. Spending time with my grandson. Is that you put that above getting World Series rings or? Oh, no comment. And you got two. My wife may be listening. Yeah, I better not say exactly. Anything. Headlines: John Rom wins the Masters. We'll be talking to Ricchetti at seven twenty about that. Rays win their ninth in a row to begin the season. The T Wolves. Rudy Gobert sent home after punching a teammate during the huddle in the second quarter. And Beckham is now a Raven. Now. Alabama had a scrimmage this past weekend. Who better to get the info from Rodney Orr, the Tider Insider? Rodney, welcome to WNSP's opening kickoff this Monday morning. I hope you had a wonderful Easter. Good morning. I did, Lee. I, I wish the same. I hope the same for you and 
I appreciate being on with you and Dan. What did you take away from uh, – what did you hear, let's say, about the scrimmage on Friday? Well, again, it's uh, – like you said, what did I hear? It's uh, – uh, you know, to be clear, uh, the media does not even get a brief media viewing period as we once did. So you kind of have to rely on sources and, and, of course, what Coach Saban said afterwards and – Actually, I thought he seemed really pleased with the thing, way things went in the first scrimmage. I, I think the offense executed really, really well. You know, obviously, I think uh, he feels like the defense certainly, and both sides of the ball, but the defense has some a ways to go. But there were, you know, four or five guys defensively that normally would be out there that weren't, that are going to be key uh, contributors to that side of the ball. So uh, keep that into mind. But, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, once again, the offense, I think, uh, was a little bit of a surprise, Lee. I mean, you've got so many new parts. You've got a new offensive coordinator. You're trying to find a quarterback. You've got two or three spots up front offensively on the line that you're trying to, to settle. You've got some new receivers. Uh, but it sounds like they executed extremely well. Yeah, Rodney, just what you just said, watching uh, Coach Saban's uh, interview, I was really surprised with his uh, take on the offense. And I think he seemed, you know, we, we've learned not to read too much into that because he plays it close to the vest. But, man, when he makes those kind of comments and heaps that praise, I think that's great. I also think it's a confidence booster for uh, the new OC and, you know, everybody that's learning. Any any insight on the quarterback battle and how that may be unfolding? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's, a, you know, probably the most asked question. And, and again, I, I think the good thing here is, if, if you're following Alabama, if you're an Alabama fan, is that both players, the, the, the two top guys battling for this spot, obviously Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, are both making improvement. You know, I think they both showed in their own ways in this scrimmage, based on what I've heard, uh, you know, their own uh, improvement, their, their style of play. I mean, you look at Milrow, I mean, we, we know he's an incredible athlete. There's no question about his athleticism. He's worked really hard to improve himself as a passer, and I think it showed in this scrimmage, you know, based on all the feedback I got. And then, you know, there were people that, frankly, talking about Ty Simpson, said, you know, this guy's got some incredible gifts as a passer. I mean, we've seen it with Tua. We saw it with Mac. We saw it with Bryce. And I'm not trying to put him into a particular category. What I'm saying is he has these kind of skills as a passer. He grew up in a passing offense. He's got the anticipation. He's got the strong arm. He's got mobility. He's got a lot of the tools that you look for. But, again, I think there's still a lot of room for growth with him in terms of you know gaining confidence and being consistent. I think that goes for both guys. So I don't think there's really insight on who's going to be the guy as much as it is they're both making a lot of progress in this competition. You know, I, that, that's such a positive because I think, you know, you, you're talking about the comfort level that uh, Alabama football had with uh, Bryce and the Heisman and, and uh, having these two guys battle like that, and as as Coach Saban alludes to, winning the locker room to where they become that guy that people look up to. Um, with with the new coaches in place, the new offense, how uh, how was that being received? I mean, again, we have to go off the things we hear, and it appears that there's kind of a mixture of the the scheme that Alabama's had offensively and and some new things that are being put in. 
Well, I think, you know, one of the main things is heading into this spring, Coach Saban, I think, made it pretty clear that they want to get back to playing with a relentless mindset, you know, and it starts with physical play in the trenches, and, and that really starts on the offensive side of the ball, and that's where they wanted to kind of regain or rekindle uh, their mentality. And I think, too, Eric Wolford, the new, well, he was last year, obviously, was his first year as an offensive line coach, and I'm not really sure that he had the personnel on the interior part of the offensive line that he considered ideal for what they want to do, which is, you know, big, bigger guys, you know, stronger guys, guys that can, you know, line up and move people off the ball. So I think they want to get back to that, running the ball more effectively. That's the mindset they want to create. And when you do that on the offensive line, it carries over to the defensive line because it gets really competitive in those trenches. So it helps both sides of the ball. And I think that's really what they're trying to do this spring. But at the same time, they want to keep that offensive balance. They want to utilize these playmakers that they have. They want to have a quarterback who can deliver. And as Nick Saban says, distribute the ball. You know, that distribute the ball in the passing game all over the field. So they've got some receivers, Malik Benson. I know a lot of people probably listening want to know, okay, who stood out? Well, Malik Benson, for example, the JUCO wide receiver, the number one junior college player in the country last year, had a really big game. He produced some big plays, had some big catches. There were some other receivers, Ja'Cory Brooks, Jermaine Burton. Uh, you know, I was actually told that Jermaine Burton probably had his best scrimmage since he's been here when he got here uh, from Georgia last year. Nice. Uh, you know, th- those guys produced really well. So I think, you know, and, and you're, you ask about something new, I think you're going to see the tight ends become more featured in this offense as receivers. Do you know anything about this quarterback that opted for Ohio State, Air Nolan, who had Alabama on his list? He's a really good player. I mean, obviously, uh, I never really expected him uh, to commit to Alabama. You know, for just FYI, Alabama does have a five-star committed right now. Some people think he might be the best quarterback in the country in the class of 2024. Uh, Julian Sagan out of California. So he is already committed to Alabama. But, yes, Aaron Nolan was a, is a really good prospect out of Georgia that committed to Ohio State. Rodney, as always, I really appreciate it. Uh, when's the ne- do you know when the next scrimmage is for the Crimson Tide? It is uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday. And then, of course, they'll finish it off with the last scrimmage on A-Day. Can't thank you enough. Have a great day. Talk to you later. All right? Okay, guys. Appreciate it. Some updated news on Alabama basketball. You know, all three assistants have gotten head coaching jobs. That's fabulous. So according to a report, the Nickel State head basketball coach has been hired as an assistant. Austin Clounch, I think his name is. That's good. Uh, You know what? When you win... People are going to come after your guys. You know, Richie Riley was the head coach at Nichols State before he came here. Yes. All right. Also, guard uh, Mark Sears declares for the NBA draft, but uh, he's keeping his options open. If things don't work out, he probably come back and play. That's the fifth member of this past season to explore the draft. I like that. I wish I wish they did that in the NFL. I do too. I think it would be uh, you guys get a more realistic feel on where they're going to go now with NIL money. You know what? If you're not a high guy, and and it's hard to uh, lock on with those NBA teams, you know, unless you're in that first group of guys, that uh, it may be better to come back. I got a call this weekend from Eli Gold. It's been a long time since I've talked to him. Eli is now booked to be on this station Thursday, 
at 7.30. Man, that's he He will talk about the illness. I'm not going to get into it. I'll let him do that. But he's... I. I, I'm after talking to him. I get the impression he's he's just about recovered, wow. and is really looking forward to returning to the mic for Alabama football. You know what? There's just certain things that go together, and Eli Gold and Alabama football are one of them. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break because I want to give some extra minutes to John Ricchetti and have you talk golf with him, Dan. All right, John's next. And then at 7.30, Bill Cameron from ESPN Radio talks about the Auburn A-Day game this past Saturday. Did you did you see where Frank Thomas, they unveiled the uh, Frank Thomas the statue? statue? The big yeah, hurt. good for him. You know what? What a special guy. And when you look at his numbers, they're comparable to anybody. In the Hall of Fame. So I, I wasn't there, of course, but was he giving out that product he does on TV? <laughs> what, is it, what is he doing? <laughs> and she will like it, too. Yeah, really. <laughs> 7.15, WNSP Sports Time. I'm Lee Shervani and Nick's in the house. So is Dan Jennings. Coming right back with a weather update, traffic, and a scoreboard. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. John Ricchetti with the Miller Lite Golf Report. And, Johnny, I'm going to turn you over to Dan Jennings, who is watching the Masters and has questions for you. Morning, Johnny. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Dan. Doing good. Hey, just take it and run. How exciting. I mean, the Super Bowl of golf went off, and I know that you have to uh, have to love what we all got to witness and uh, really a lot of fun. So just take it. Give us your take on what you saw and how great an event it truly was. Well, to be quite honest with you, I picked John Rahm last week. Um, I thought he was going to win it. But actually, as the tournament went, for some reason – I kind of wanted Brooks Kepka to win. I don't know why it was, but I kind of, you know, even though I had John Rahm and I wanted him to win, but I, I just for some reason wanted uh, Brooks Kepka to win. Obviously, he did not get the job done. Brooks did not play well uh, yesterday when they came back. And uh, But John Rahm is, I mean, in my opinion, we talk a lot of people talk that Rory McIlroy might be the best player in the game today, but... Uh, Day in and day out, I, you look at how good this guy has played. I know he's only picked up his second major. He's only 28 years old, but I'm telling you, there's plenty more uh, to come, John Rom. So uh, it was an incredible performance. I thought there were a lot of great storylines. Uh, obviously, you know, with the battle with Rom and Kepka, and then you look at the other guys that are mounting charges up the leaderboard, and especially a guy at 52 years old who was just two years ago a star in the game, overwhelming superstar in golf that's kind of crashed, and none other than Phil Mickelson. I thought that performance yesterday was completely unbelievably uh, spectacular by Phil yesterday. So uh, shooting a 65 and ending up tied for second along with Brooks Kepka. But all in all, I thought, uh, you know, they got it in. 
for some reason, you know, these guys at Augusta National know what to do and always hit home runs all the time uh, for pretty much everything they do at that tournament. And that's why I think that's the greatest golf tournament in all of golf. Uh, perfectly said, John. You know, the thing that stood out to me, and I'd like your take on it, uh, you know, there was a big controversy with the Live versus the PGA, and it, it kind of got nasty, some guys mouthing off back and forth. But you didn't hear any of that when the Masters began. It was like the focus on the Super Bowl of the sport. Uh, there were three, quote, live golfers in uh, Kepka, Mickelson, and Patrick Reed who finished in the top five. And I think the, the light was shone on the great sport of golf and how much fun it can truly be. What's your take? Uh, great point, Dan. I think that, that it just goes to show you the respect that players in the game of golf have for Augusta National and the Masters. I mean, it is their tournament, um, you know, the Masters, the people at Augusta National, they run it, how they sit, how they want to run it on, uh, on their terms, and that's the respect. And I think guys, all these guys come there, came there, and they just buttoned up their mouth, and they just said, this is all about golf. It ain't about live golf, the PGA Tour, and so forth. And, and that was the respect shown for the golf tournament, and it was evident. I mean, look at the players, uh, the champions there, apparently. Phil Mickelson never even said a word. <laughs> and uh, he's pretty much animated and talking and so forth, but apparently he never even said anything. And I think, uh, you know, Phil kept his cool and whatever because he's been very vocal and kind of one of the leaders of live golf and so forth. But, uh uh, it, was, it just shows you, Dan, the respect that these players have for this tournament and how much this tournament means to them and so forth. So uh, I guess they knew because if they, you know, if they mouth off or say something to the media that's not proper, they might get not might not get invited back next year. So all in all, I thought uh, the live players uh, obviously they played extremely well. Yeah, Phil definitely let his play do the talking. Five birdies on the back nine was uh, it was impressive, and I think that's the uh, the best finish or for his age the best finish at the Masters. And man, he just roared down the stretch. What's your take on the kid, Sam Bennett, the amateur? Who man, for a couple of days he was tugging at the heart of the nation, and uh, he he hung in there about as good as you could expect for a young guy who hadn't felt the heat of the Masters. Nah, he obviously a great player. Uh, um, you know, you you don't win the U.S. Amateur without being really, really, really good. And evident, uh, I watched this kid. Uh, actually, my son was paired with him in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it must have been, I think, seven years ago in a junior tournament in AJGA in Dallas, Texas. They were paired together, and I knew he was. You know, he was coming up a young kid. I think he was. Four, I think he was like. Uh, I guess 14 or 13 at the time, and I knew right away that this kid was pretty special. But uh, you know, he's had a great career, good player at Texas A&M, and uh, you know, and, and he hung around. He did. I mean, he got into the you know the final pairing on on third in the third round, and I just think it's uh, his time was not quite there to really shine as far as really win the event. I mean, there's some people talk could he win it and so forth, but, uh, you know, he's still too young and, and lacking a little bit, maybe a little power, because that golf course played extremely long, yes. uh, especially on Saturday and Sunday, and, uh, you know, it was one of the things. But you understand that, uh, that he's possibly going to be in a tournament today, the Aggie Invitational. 
in College Station. Uh, apparently, they're having a college, and apparently the rumor was uh, that I gathered that he was on his way as soon as he finished up to get back, and he was going to be in the lineup today for for Texas A&M. I'm going to look, at, look that up later on today, but uh, can you imagine that going from the Augusta, from the Masters all the way to a collegiate tournament? But uh, the kid's a really good player, evidently, and uh, he, you know, he grabbed the heart of a lot of uh, a lot of American people over the weekend, for sure. No doubt. Started off with a birdie and an eagle, and now he says he may go play uh, 36 today, and he's got to carry his own bag. So he's young enough to have that young adrenaline flowing and uh, and get him rolling. You don't think Jimbo Fisher would caddy for him? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, I just, as a matter of fact, as we just, uh, I just uh, got word that he is not playing today. So. Uh, as we speak, but uh, he's not in the lineup uh, for A&M today, so we'll see. I guess, Johnny, I Johnny, we're running out of time, but what, what I, what intrigues me, I, I heard he's like in his fifth year at A&M. When's he going to turn pro? Uh, that's what I said. He's probably turning pro. He might be turning pro today, as a matter of fact. There you so, go. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens on that. But uh, I know he had enough. Uh, he had enough NIL money on his. You can see it on his golf bag and shirts everywhere, so I don't think he's worried about his next meal anyway. Hey, thanks a lot. Where are you going to be tonight? We're going to be at Felix's Fish Camp. Obviously going to be a great show, wrap up the the Masters and so forth. But always a pleasure talking with you, Dan and Lee, and uh, you guys have a great week, and we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Thank you, John. Auburn had their spring game this past Saturday. Bill Cameron, ESPN Radio, up there on the Plains, will join us in just a few minutes. Frank Thomas? Yeah, the big hurt. Wowza. A hun. <laughs> Frank Thomas? Oh, hi there. Wow, you look like you could still be playing. I know, right? Well, I'm feeling a lot stronger and leaner, with a lot more energy and drive. So, what's your secret? Nugenics Total Tea. I wish my husband used it. He can. It's <laughs> there easy. you go. Just in the text. The big hurt. You're a guy over 40. They uh, unveiled a statue. Bill Cameron, good friend up there in the, on the plains, ESPN Radio talk show host. Bill, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Uh, pretty good, Lee. How are you doing? Wonderful. Dan Jennings sitting in with me. He's going to have some questions also about the Auburn. I just couldn't help but We were talking about the Big Hurt and the statue. Were you there when they unveiled it? No, nah, I didn't. I didn't make it over for the uh, for the unveiling. Saw him. Uh, uh, saw him around, though. I mean, he was he was around. It was. Uh, God, it was just such a nasty day. I mean, and I figured if I was going to be out in that uh, during the middle of the day, then I, you know, why why make it. Uh, why get over there before 10 o'clock um i had i had a couple of folks that were there covering it for us uh the big the big hurt is a uh, uh he's an interesting character and and uh was a was a fun guy to watch i was fortunate enough to do the play-by-play back when he was playing at auburn wow, what a special talent and his hall of fame numbers will rank right up there with anyone that's ever played the game that's for sure uh, how about the A-Day game, Bill? Give us your take. Who uh, Who's having steaks and who's having hot dogs and who uh, who stood out and, and made some impressions? Yeah, I had a feeling the way things were going there in the middle of the, in the middle of that third and final quarter that everybody was going to that they were going to do their best to try to get everybody steaks. It was uh, it was really tough to get an awful lot out of that. I mean, there, 
first of all, a couple of things. From our vantage point in the press box and then with rain running down the windows, it was really difficult to see who the heck was even in the ball game for a while. But uh, but no, I, I think the offensive line is probably the the biggest story of the spring. That's that's something that for the last few years has been a problem at Auburn. Uh, and, and they brought in three transfers, and all three of those guys uh, immediately established themselves as starters with Dylan Wade at left tackle, Gunnar Britton at right tackle, and Avery Jones at center. And that offensive line, I think, is going to be a strength of this team. Um, I, I like I like the the additions on the defensive front as well. There's much more depth on the defensive line, and I think that despite the fact that the offense was able to score 24 points, defense was pretty limited. They didn't uh, they didn't stunt, they didn't blitz, they didn't do a lot of um, fancy things at all. It was pretty vanilla. Um, and the strength of this team, I think, is going to be running the ball. But I think it's going to be pretty solid. It's going to be a pretty solid defensive team as well. What we don't know is how far the quarterbacks have come. To you know, to my eyes, Robbie Ashford is better than he was at the start of the spring. Mm-hmm. I don't know how how well he is at reading defenses, running the RPO. It's really difficult from from our vantage point there. Uh, you know, trying to trying to really tell how well he had uh, you know how well he was doing at that. But I do believe Robbie is a much better passer. He threw the best pass of the day, and in that slop that was out there Saturday, it was cold. It was windy. It was it just continually was was raining steadily. He threw a. I mean that that was a beautiful pass to Tavares Dawson. Um, they only threw 12 passes all day, and I think they really wanted to throw it. They wanted to come out and just uh, sling it all over the field and and just put on a show for the fans. But the brave souls that were there, I think, were just as happy to have that clock running and try to and try to get back to something dry. Yeah, that uh, looking at on the on the TV and you seeing that weather, like you said, it makes for a difficult watch when you can't really see. Uh, on, on Hugh Freeze's take, did he did he bring out the positive things that he liked? Obviously, it's a work in progress, but just on his take and knowing him, what's uh, what do you feel like? You know, he took from that, and um, uh, do you see more activity occurring in the portal? Oh, I definitely see more activity in the portal. I, I think they'd still love to get a uh, at least one more wide receiver. Um, and again, Saturday there was no way of telling if guys had stepped up. We've heard, and I, and I expect Jamarius Johnson to be solid. He's consistent, but I just don't know if they have a guy that that is, can take the top off, that can beat you, that can beat you deep. They've got a couple of guys with good size, but really didn't get a chance to see them. I think they they had one back shoulder attempt to land. And King, but Nick Mardner, Camden Brown, and Camden's been slowed down with a bit of an ankle. Those are the other big targets, but they really are looking for at least another receiver. Um, Hugh keeps talking about adding at least another, at least one more, perhaps two more offensive linemen just for depth. I think he wants uh, his depth to not be as young as some of the guys that they have right now, even though, again, I feel, I really feel this offensive line is going to be so much better than it's been the last few years. Um, linebacker has been a strength. I thought that, that maybe Auburn would be looking for another linebacker. I don't think they'll really need anyone else there. And quarterback is obviously that's that's the uh, that's the spot everybody's going to be watching coming up. Um, well, as a matter of fact, the the portal opens 
this Saturday, and we'll see we'll see who starts jumping in it. Then you know the, the, it was going to be May first through fifteenth, but they moved it up to April fifteenth through the thirtieth. So it'll be interesting to see if some you know uh, if some quarterbacks jump in. What type Auburn's going for? I'd, I'd felt all along that if um, you know somebody really stepped up and took the job, that perhaps they go for a for a future type quarterback. I don't know that that's been the case, even though I, I feel Robbie and and Holden um, and and TJ. As a matter of fact, I think they're all better at understanding the system. But uh, yeah. I heard about this from my sons who were watching the game. Um, I know you commented after the game about guys making the right reads and things like that. We we all wondered in the box when when TJ threw into uh, it appeared to be triple coverage. Maybe it was a blur from the from the uh, from the rain there on the on the windows. But uh, yeah, I heard, heard understand that that Hugh made a comment while he was being interviewed on TV about that wasn't the right read. Uh, but I think all three of the guys are better. But I don't know that anyone has established himself or that or that they feel like they can definitely go in and be their best team uh, unless they find somebody who has some more experience. Don't know who that would be. There have been rumblings about different guys, but we'll see what happens. But uh, I still think Auburn will be in the market for a quarterback. Auburn Radio Talk Show host Bill Cameron joining our opening kickoff this morning where it's currently 7.40 WNSP Sports Time. A couple of new uh, items on the basketball team. Uh, This transfer Uh from FIU, Denver Jones, who was highly recruited off the portal. What do you know about him? Nice to have somebody with some size. I mean, he's a he's a um, gives you a little more gives you a little more length there at the uh, at the wing that Auburn has had. You know, other than I mean, Alan Flanagan, but he was more of a three than a two. Denver is definitely a two. A guy that wasn't very highly recruited out of uh, out of Buckhorn, uh, who went to junior college and really stepped it up, averaged over 20 points a game, uh, nearly 40 percent three point shooter this past year, and that's something Auburn really needed. Uh, so that's one. That's one spot. I think Auburn's looking for uh, probably a couple of more shooters. Uh, I would think a one, one, one perhaps a combo type guard, and then uh, another um, another wing or or maybe a three type. I still think Auburn's going to go, uh, and they've been linked with the. Um, with the Marshall big man, I think they need another rebounder. That's something that that Auburn really struggled at. Other than Janai Broom, they didn't have much rebounding, and that was one of the biggest differences in this team and the team from a year before. Uh, their numbers were pretty similar, except for their rebounding. So I think Auburn's going to be very active. They've got at least three more spots available in the portal, and perhaps more than that. It'll still depend on who else decides or if anyone else decides to leave. But yeah, I think they I think they'd be in the market for a combo guard, uh, a 3-4 type guy, and then a post. Also, one other basketball note, Wes Flanagan is leaving uh, his position as an assistant coach to take a similar position with Chris Beard, the new coach at Ole Miss. I'm kind of curious, why would you leave Auburn as an assistant coach to go to Ole Miss, and will that have any effect on Alan Flanagan staying or going? Well, I think we've been feel, we've been feeling that Allen probably was was ready to go ahead and and uh, you know start making that move to the professional ranks. I mean, perhaps Al perhaps Al will follow his dad to Ole Miss, but I still I think that he uh, I think they've expected him to not be back, and and most folks feel feel like he's 
you know, he's ready to go ahead and go pro. I think the reason West, a couple of reasons that West is leaving. I mean, one, he has a long, he has a long-term relationship with Chris Beard. Remember, Chris hired him at at, uh, um, at Arkansas State, and then he took over for him when when uh, when Chris left. But the other thing is, Stephen Pearl is is uh, you know right there with Bruce, and I'm sure West feels like uh, he wants to be a head coach again, and may have may have a better opportunity, or it may be uh, quicker for him to move to that level um, if he if he moves from Auburn. And, and is there with Chris. So I, I think that might be it because uh, at, at Auburn, I wouldn't be shocked to see, uh, you know, whenever Bruce decides to step down, that, that Stephen would get a long look. Bill, I can't thank you enough. Always a pleasure to talk uh, Auburn sports with you. We'll be in touch. Hope you had a great Easter. Yeah, you, you too, guys. Anytime. You know, what we are talking about last week when Hugh Freeze came out and said, that he would not be opposed to playing another team instead of the A-Day game, which I've been advocating, not that anybody's listening, but uh, I've been advocating that for years that uh, I I don't see how people really get excited about, you know, the the 15th so-called practice. And and I was really shocked that Auburn was charging $10, and and they didn't have a big turnout, obviously, because of the weather. I'm wondering if people still pay $10 to get in in that slop you know, to watch what they did. But would you like to see a spring? Would that interest you a little bit more? Because obviously the TV, the, the uh, cable outlets are, are turned off by it because they're not televising these games anymore except for Colorado. Yeah. You know, I uh, growing up the son of a coach, no, I wouldn't because I understand why you want to see that scrimmage so that you get more of your own guys out there at one time. From a player's perspective, absolutely. They get tired of banging up on each other. Um, so you have that that part of it. Uh, I, I think that you would take away a little from the coaches working to get their guys, you know, that next step because you, you would start to prepare, you know, for the team that you're going to play. And so you lose a little bit of the time uh, to work with your guys See, to make them better. I, I disagree with you on this regard. And let's face it, you're a lot more experienced with this because of your dad who coached. But how about in the spring? They used to have jamborees all the time. And it wasn't like, well, we're going to dedicate three three weeks to studying the opponent. It's all about your team. But the jamboree – and look what's going on now. Uh, Ronnie Cottrell is going to be coming in this week. He's taking his team for the spring game up to Hattiesburg. Right. Uh, what other program? There's another program that's that I uh, I think Mary Jean – we were at Mary Jean Montgomery. I think they may be doing the same thing. So as somebody who's very invested into high school football, as you were, but they they do it all spring, and it doesn't seem to bother their programs. Yeah, I think what you see, Lee, is you get more you you get more of your guys involved if you do a scrimmage because guys that you're going to need for the depth, the second, maybe even third teamers. You you get a you get a, a running back depth chart and get those guys more carries, more touches. Defensive linemen get to to um, you know come in, and I, I just think from a depth perspective, getting getting more work for your own 
uh, it's better that way. And you can control it versus the other where when you're playing a uh, when you're playing against another team, you know, your quarterback gets twisted and you your knees, anything like that, you can control it more when it's your own. Okay. Just well, I wanted to get your thought on that. We'll come back. We're going to have a Chick-fil-A giveaway. I like it when we disagree, though. It's good. It's oh, like I still a little, di- I still little sparring with you. match. Yeah. No, I still disagree with you because, in as you know, in these high school scrimmages, they're basically orchestrated. You play the first team, maybe the first half, and then you put the second team and the freshmen and so forth later on. It's always been scripted. Right, but instead of having 11 guys on the field at one time, you have 22. Or you get a flag if you have more than 11. (laughs) There you go. All right, we got a giveaway when we come back. A Chick-fil-A giveaway has to do with the Masters. Look forward to having you call next, 694-1055-746, WNSP Sports Time. On the opening kickoff, Dan Jennings sitting in for Mark High. Mark's on vacation. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. Suddenly. What's the guy's name that does this? Hawkins? Tim Hawkins? Uh, Tim Tim Hawkins. Yeah, and you haven't booked him yet, have you? Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for his reps to get uh, back to me. <laughs> By the way, I, I was telling Danny about this that last night I was started to watch the Braves game, but it got out of hand, I mean, score-wise. So I switched to CBS, where I had spent a lot of time watching the uh, Masters, and they had that Beach Boy tribute last night. They brought in all these different singers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, male and female, to do various Beach Boy songs. I enjoyed that. That was beautiful. Hey, the Beach Boys, it's as good as it gets. And uh, I, when when other musicians are paying tribute to you, then you know you've, uh, you've had a heck of a run. All right, here is your question for a Chick-fil-A uh, giveaway. It has to do with the Masters. John Rahm becomes, I think, only the fourth golfer in the history to win two majors, the Masters being one of them, where he trailed after 54 holes in each of the majors and came from behind, as he did, to win it. Who was the last golfer to do that? I'm not going to go back too far in history Gene Sarazen was one. He was before my time. Mine, too. Yeah. But if you know who the last golfer who trailed in two majors and was able to battle back as he did yesterday, because going into the third round, let's see, he was, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he like four shots? Four shots to start. To start, the Mm -hmm. third. Then, of course, they had all the delays and everything. He caught... He got he got two strokes on Kepka in the third round and then started the fourth round still two shots down. Correct. Do you remember where he took the lead? Which one? Uh, I think it was at um, I think it was at nine nine or ten, and man, when he hit the accelerator, he took off. He really did. And uh, I know I, I heard him talk about um, in round three at thirteen is when he really felt his game. You know, he just kind of locked in. And they get in that zone. And, man, when the great ones get in that zone, you can almost forget 
beating him. What impressed you the most about his game? John Rahm I'm talking about. He His ability to make that second shot, put him in position for birdies, just absolutely fabulous. I mean, he's a gorilla anyway, the way he swings, and he's not uh, he's not shy about taking taking a uh, a mighty swing. But just to control that second shot and uh, and put himself in those positions for birdie putts, um, for me that that was the difference in how he was able to overcome that four stroke uh, lead. Okay, and when you when you lose as Brooks Kepka did, and and this is what I found very well, I, I say interesting, but I, as, as his lead melted, in his past, before his injuries, before the live tour, Brooks Kepka, when he held the lead in a major after 54th, it was gold. Mm-hmm. He wins. That did not happen yesterday. His game broke down. He did not have a birdie in his last 22 holes. Very unusual for Brooks Kepka. I'm wondering... And, and not to belabor the point of being on the live, the live tour is three rounds, 54 holes. He had the lead after 54 holes. I'm curious, and nobody's really going to explore this or talk about it, certainly not Brooks, not playing four days and not competing week after week, which the live tour does not. I wonder if that had any effect on his game. You educated me with that, Lee. I didn't realize it was only 54 holes. And I, as as just a casual observer watching that yesterday, it appeared to me that that fourth round, he definitely, and especially on the fact that it, it came off uh, them having to complete round three before they started round four, 30 rounds of golf on one day. And uh, that's certainly the way it looked as a as a casual viewer. So I'm, uh, I, I just am shocked to see, uh, number one, those two guys go at it the way they did, but Rom truly separated himself and, and shown that he is the best golfer in the world right now. Do you ever think we'll see Tiger win another major? He's at 47 now. I do not, unfortunately. Uh, I think he's a he, – there's no doubt what he means to the sport, how many viewers turn in when Tiger makes the cut. Uh, that was his 23rd cut to uh, – to uh, make at the Masters, which tied a record. Um, But I think that, uh, you know, it's – the injuries have taken the toll, certainly the accident. And, uh, man, I just felt bad for him there, watching him limp under that umbrella, and uh, he he was done. All right, borrowing on your experience as a general manager, which you were with the Miami Marlins, we had that incident yesterday in the second quarter, Rudy Gobert – leveled uh, his teammate Kyle Anderson after Anderson made a comment which obviously Gobert did not find very amusing they had a fight during the huddle Uh, the team sent Gobert out of there sent him home they open up tomorrow in one of the play-in games against the LA Lakers do you let them back you got to bring your coach in you got to bring those players in the room you have to have an open heart to heart they have to understand that Neither of them are more important than the team right now moving forward. And then you have to go inside that locker room and only have a conversation between the coaches and the players, put everything out in the open and try to pull everyone together and then move forward. It doesn't matter what the outside world thinks. It's about those guys in that clubhouse. And you have to try to get this out of the way and 
and make it a secondary issue as quick as possible with the post with the playoffs coming up. All right, uh, we got a listener who wants to join us. Very good. Opening kickoff Monday morning, April tenth. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, I just point this out real quick. I don't know if it makes any difference or not, but Dan, I think you hit the nail on the head. It wasn't. I don't think it's so much the live tour that affected Kepka as it was 30 rounds of golf or 30 holes in one day. Uh, if you notice going into yesterday, Victor Hovland, he's the other guy who did not finish well at all, and he's not a live player. He's a PGA player. But those two guys were, I think, the only two, Kepka and Hovland in the top ten, who uh, shot like 75 or better. And they just crumbled, crumbled down the stretch. So uh, hats off to Rom, though. Uh, what's his nickname? Rombo. Rombo. That's it. Rombo. That's a great. You know what? That's a great point. And you, I, I don't know how many guys have gone out and played thirty-six holes in a day, or even thirty. But it's uh, it is a test to your willpower. And you can say, well, it's golf, and it's this. These guys are walking, and the the mental strategy and focus that it requires to play at that level, it's taxing on you. And, you know, he, he, he made a comment there at the end, uh, real quickly, I know you got to go, uh, I'm talking about uh, Kepka, that, you know, there were about four holes there, including eight for him, I believe, were six or eight inches the other way. And he's got a great shot, mm-hmm. but it just it just wasn't falling. It just wasn't falling. So you know. Anyway, thanks, guys. Appreciate great, it. Great caller. That's he nailed it. You know what? Those guys. You have to look at. Uh, how many times have you heard over the course of Tiger's career he's physically strong? Even John Ricchetti this morning talked about Bennett and he needed more strength. Um, there is an endurance standard that is required to go out and certainly when you have to do a round and a half in a day that's going to take its wear and tear on you. Danny, can't thank you enough for coming in. I know you got more priority items on your list today. <laughs> I appreciate you having me in. It's always a pleasure. And you know what? Minor League Baseball, giving you Mondays off, let it happen. And I'm glad to join you. And uh, certainly uh, great respect and appreciation for you. So you're off tomorrow to? Montgomery, Alabama, the Biscuits. I'm going to go have a biscuit and watch those guys play and then uh, start in our minor league system going to look at some of our players. Best food at a minor league stadium is? Oh, wow. Maybe I had the crickets, the the uh, the fried crickets one time at a park in the northwest, just because fried crickets, crickets, yes, literally crickets. What do you put on that? I, Mustard, mayo, I, ketchup. What? I I don't know that I'll ever put my lips on them again. I'll tell you that I was not impressed, but I had to try it. Can't thank you enough for checking in, really. And uh, safe travels. Thank you, Lee. Thank and, you. And uh, take good care of that grandchild. You know I will. Good luck the last hour. All right. Uh, Dan Jennings sitting in for Mark Heim when we come back. J.D. Byers, the voice of South Alabama sports, will join us. And then at 830, the voice of the Atlanta Hawks, Bob Rathman, about the postseason. The Hawks have an early playing date. Nick, did we get a winner? No winner yet. No winner yet. I'll give the question when we come back. All right. Thank you so much. Two hours in the books. uh, Hour number three coming up on WNSP and WNSP.com.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shervanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. Good morning, hour number three on this April 10th, the day after Easter. Hope everyone had a wonderful Easter Sunday and also a wonderful Easter weekend. Uh, again, the headlines as we go into the uh, third hour. John Rahm wins the Masters. Rays win their ninth in a row to begin the season. Uh, the longest winning streak to open up the season since the uh, Royals back in 03. The T-Wolves, Rudy Goldberg, uh, sent home after punching teammate Kyle Anderson during yesterday's uh, victory over the Pelicans. Odell Beckham signs with the Ravens. And I will repeat, John Harbaugh will be a guest tomorrow. He is scheduled at 6.30 uh, tomorrow morning. Joe Godfrey will be coming in to uh, co-host the show with me. And we do not yet have a winner on our uh, Chick-fil-A. I'm going to do it one more time. If you know the answer, give Nick a call at 694-1055. John Rahm is only the fourth player to overcome a multi-shot deficit after 54 holes and win both the Masters and the U.S. Open. Who was the last golfer? And he's very famous. Let me just say that. He is very, very well known. Who was the last golfer to accomplish that? Now, let's go to our next guest, J.D. Byers. He is the uh, lead announcer, South Alabama sports, uh, football, baseball, you name it. And J.D. is there to do it for us. J.D., good morning. Uh, how are you this morning? Well, I'm good. Did, did the, gosh, I don't want to give away that answer, but I want to think, I think that happened in 1986, didn't it? Um, with the golf, yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the tournaments that he was involved in. Yeah, so you're yeah. giving a clue, and that's oh, okay. Gosh. I don't mind you doing that. <laughs> uh, and then when okay. I see you in person, uh, I will give you half a Chick Fil A. <laughs> <for that. laughs> maybe I help somebody uh, understand that. Okay. Well, we didn't uh, get a winner before, so maybe this will help and we'll expedite it. I do want to catch up on South Alabama sports. First of all, the baseball team won two out of three this weekend against Texas State. Where, where is this team trending right now? I, I think offensively, definitely in, in the right direction. Um, the, the bats were alive and, and they were swinging and they came out aggressive. And I think the, the confidence that comes from that is really starting – uh, to come together. And I, th- I think the, the faces that are being plugged in and the changes are really coming from the offensive side more than the defensive side. You know, Trey Lewis was a guy that went into the weekend as the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Week. He went hitless, if I'm not mistaken, over the weekend. But the other names that are, that are being plugged in there are, are really starting to, you know, get it together at the plate. Uh, Micah Morgan comes to mind. Uh, Tyler Borges, who played two games at third base, uh, he really came together offensively, getting the timely hit, but also, uh, you know, we're not leaving runners stranded offensively. Uh, you know, left some on base, but Mark Calvi, you know, always looks at that that stat about leaving guys on base, and that frustrates him, but these guys are really starting to score and get it together at the plate and get on base. Have they established a, a big three pitching rotation for the weekend? I I had heard coming into this year from a former coach that this was one of the deepest pitching staffs that Marcus had there. Has that materialized? Well, it has been 
fluid. I think it may be the best way to put it. It has not been established that definitely this is the Friday guy, this is the Saturday guy, this is the um, the, the, the game three guy, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you've had some guys drift in and out of that, and I think I'm, I'm pretty accurate in that, except that um, we felt like Jeremy Lee was going to be the concrete weekend starter on Friday to go in. Um, he's been out of that lineup, but he's gone back into the lineup, and you know he pitched the game one, and it happened to be the game when we lost uh, against Texas State. Sam Moulton got a start, did really, really good. And then uh, Mitchell Herr, who was going to be primarily a third baseman and, and pretty good with a bat, he's worked his way into the weekend lineup now. Instead of being a midweek or a pin guy, he's pretty solid. Had a good five and two-thirds, only allowed one run. He was an out from a quality start against Texas State. I thought he looked really solid. He was our game three guy against Texas State. But are those the three guys that will start going forward? I think up until now it's accurate that it's been fluid. So I think right now, and I haven't followed the Sun Belt all that closely, but does this does this conference look like it's going to get more than one team into the NCAA tournament this year? You know, we, we looked at RPI very heavily over the weekend in, in the telecast, and – Gosh, I've seen a ton in the top 85 now. That doesn't help at all when it comes to at-large. Uh, when you're not the automatic qualifier, you got to be at least in the top 40 to get a sniff if you're in the Sun Belt. Uh, but there are so many in the second half of the season that can move towards the upper half, and I'm looking primarily at matchups and who plays who and who's played tough teams that could get some RPI help from their non-conference side of the schedule. Uh, Troy is really good this year, Lee. Uh, I think South Alabama just faced a really good team over the weekend, and you know if they know how good of a team they just faced, they should get some confidence from that and hopefully move up. But you know we were talking about it. This could very well be a year where we get perhaps three um, with uh, with an automatic qualifier. But then you know how that works; it goes into the the conference tournament. Uh, if the really high RPI team or the one that's on the corner were to get in there and win the thing, well, they're going to get the automatic qualifier anyway. So we'll have to see come conference tournament time to see if that plays out. But I'm with you. I think very definitely three could make it out of the Sun Belt. Hope so. All right, let's switch gears. Uh, bring me up to date on uh, the progress in spring training for the football program. Obviously coming off the best year ever with the 10 wins and so forth and a lot of players coming back. What have you heard or seen so far? Well, I guess the headline, the buzz that has everybody wanting to go to practice is the fact you got Carter Bradley, a quarterback that centers around 19 starters coming back. Um, and then when you say 19, you take a look down and go, wait a minute, there really could be more than that if you go back even a year earlier because you get the services. And I love seeing this guy in uniform, but you got guys like Keith Gallman who uh, were injured and didn't play at all last year. Or guys who within the one week of the start of the season or in fall camp last year got hurt that we didn't see at all. So that number is really quasi higher than 19 because you get a key defensive guy uh, and a Mobile native, by the way, with, with Keith Gallman. But it, and really injuries haven't plagued them that much, but you get a quarterback and uh, actually two quarterbacks with, with playing time and Carter Bradley and Desmond Trotter. And, man, they've looked so good. And there's just that sense of confidence where everybody knows at spring practice and you can kind of feel it when you're there that everybody knows the pieces are already in place in a spring rather than the first week of fall practice, you know, in, in September or I'm, I'm sorry, August 
when they're kind of looking around going, okay, who's going to step up at this position? Wow, who's going to step up at X position because we don't have anybody there? We just lost a key piece of the depth. But, but instead, spring this time around, they're all looking around going, we've got the pieces already here, and we haven't had that in a long time. When announcing the spring game, would you rather do the scrimmage, Jags against Jags, or would you rather see South Alabama play another team? Oh, man. I, I think each other because it's it's a lot like uh, – like it's kind of like an all-star game to me in the way you approach it, like a like a like a senior bowl or a uh, uh, or a pro bowl. It's not so much about play-by-play; it's more about backstories. It's it's a lot about uh, you know instead of calling it real accurately as a broadcaster, you want to tell what they've done in their career or wow, look who's getting a lot of reps and that guy's rode the pine for two years. He's finally getting his chance and, and here who's he's, he's played behind and here's what his qualities are. Or if it's a Juco guy, we're getting to see for the first time, kind of talk about what he did in high school or the Juco where he just came from and why he landed where he did. And this day with it, with, the, with the transfer portal, you get an opportunity to talk about it, maybe in a spring game. Here's Joe Smith who transferred from an SEC school and here's what he did and we're so glad he's now a Jag. He gets to tell his backstories and make it interesting. That's from a broadcaster perspective, of course. JD, catch me up to date what on the baseball program. What do we have coming up this week? Got a got a midweek and oh gosh. Next weekend it, it's ULM gotta go on the road and play a couple over at their place. Uh, ULM's, I don't think, is as big of a, an opponent this year as we thought. Um, they came out really good in non-conference action, but we do have the midweek, and I want to say it's at Alabama State. So uh, got to go up to Montgomery to the beautiful Wheeler-Watkins Family Baseball Complex. It'll be a 6 o'clock first pitch against the Hornets. That's on Tuesday night before going to ULM. Hey, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Did you watch most of the Masters yesterday? Are you into that? Oh, always have been, uh, but I didn't get to watch as much as I like. But I was when I did finally start getting to, to zero and focus on it. It's when uh, Bruce, or sorry, when Kepka started to, you know, get the bogey problems, and then John Rahm, uh, which seems to be a fan favorite, a totally different personality than Seve Ballesteros when you start talking about Spaniards. But you can't help but root for the guy, and he started making his charge. And I really liked the storylines that went with it, so I was very happy he won. Really appreciate you taking time to join us. I'll be back in touch with you. Thanks so much, J.D. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. You bet. J.D. Byers, he's the voice of South Alabama sports. All right, we're coming up on a weather and traffic and another scoreboard with some headlines. And then, Nick, it's all about you. We'll talk some NBA. And then coming up at 830, Bob Rathman, the voice of the Hawks. All right, the regular season is over with now, so the playing games start tomorrow night. And the Hawks will be in action tomorrow night. The Pelicans on Wednesday. We'll catch you up on what happened over the weekend. And, of course, the fight with Rudy Gobert. Knocking out one of his team. Didn't knock him out, but he uh, punched one of his teammates. So we'll catch up on that also. Plus, Nick went to the Hawks game. And we'll get his uh, take on that when we come back on WNSP, where the opening kickoff time is now 8-16. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Game regular season finale, and we had a scuffle on the Timberwolves bench. 
Anderson and Rudy Gobert. That's just something you don't see every day. I know the tensions. No, you don't. You don't see teammates fighting every day. We don't even see broadcasters in the studio fighting every day. I'm Lee Shervanian, Nick Wiggins behind the glass, the, uh, I guess, would you would say one of the most foremost NBA podcasters in this area, or at least in this building? Would that be fair? I would say I'm probably the number one NBA podcaster on the Gulf Coast. All right. That's fair enough. I, got some, I don't think there's many of us. I got questions. I want the answers. Gobert, does he play tomorrow night against the Lakers in a playing game? Man, Minnesota probably sure hopes so because you got to have someone down there to help out with uh, LeBron on those drives and Anthony Davis down low. We'll see. Maybe his apology went over well. I'm not sure. They instituted the play-in during the COVID. I think one of the reasons was to avoid tanking. Obviously, that hasn't uh, helped. But do you like the play-in games or would you rather see them start what they normally would do uh, for playoff games, uh, let's say on Saturday, four on Sunday? Do you like having these extra games? Yeah, I love the play-in game because they're competitive, really competitive games. You know, it's your last chance to try to make it into the playoffs. The only downside is, and I've heard some different opinions on this, the top seeds, they have the least amount of preparation because they don't really know who they're going to play, right? The two seed doesn't know if they're getting LeBron or the Timberwolves. The one seed doesn't know who they're going to get. So I saw some people actually actually suggest, what if those top seeds, the number one seed, what if they got to pick out of whoever wins the play-in, pick which team they want to play? But they've played them during the year, so it's not like they're a surprise. They, they're, they, they certainly know the players from having played them and scouting them and so forth. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But look, the Lakers, since the All-Star break, even though LeBron has only played in 11 games, the Lakers have the best record in the West since the All-Star break. Well, if teams who, let's say in this case, uh, the team that finished first, Denver, if they don't know how to play LeBron by now, they never will. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's move on. Dallas is being investigated by the NBA for tanking based on what happened Friday where they had, I know Kyrie sat out. They had about four or five players sit out. They had a very outside chance to make the postseason, but they still had an Eh, slimmer of a glimmer of a hope. And one of the players they listed, I forget which one, uh, Nick, that uh, they listed, uh, you know, usually they'll put like an injury, like foot injury, calf injury, but mm-hmm. when they put rest, <laughs> it just drove me nuts. Rest, the season is over on Sunday. You have the whole year to rest. <laughs> but go ahead. Do you think something comes out of this? I don't know because you alluded to it earlier in the show. This is the same thing that Portland is doing. It's the same thing that San Antonio and Detroit's doing. Maybe Dallas is being a little more in your face about it because it's the last game and because they had to lose that game to make sure they didn't lose their draft pick, their only draft pick they have over the next five years. I agree with it. I think it was the best decision to make because even if they made the play-in, they're losing in the first game. That is not a good team. So it needed to happen. Maybe they could have been a little more sly about it, but we'll see. So you said you went to the Hawks game on Friday night, and what did you like the most about the halftime show? 
It was the best halftime show I've ever seen. I, I was trying to find a clip. I've seen clips online, but I couldn't find anything. It was a professional Simon Says. Y you know the game Simon Says, Lee? Simon Says, put your hands on your head. Yes. All right. Well, this guy, he, 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 the way he did it, he, he brought 50 people out. And he, he'd go so fast like he's doing an auction or something. And he'd be, you know, Simon says, hands up, hands down. Simon says, hands on your head, hands, you know, super fast. And then once people would get out, he'd be like, all right, everybody, scoot in, scoot in. I didn't say Simon says, sorry. Or, you know, he, he was just really getting people. And then uh, he'd get like three people out. And then he'd say, okay, everybody, take a step up, take a step up. And then he'd be like, I didn't say Simon says. And then one guy got really mad. And he started to walk away all mad, and the guy goes, all right, you know what? I can tell you're upset. Why don't you go ahead and come back and get back in? And he walks back, and he says, sorry, I didn't say Simon, Simon says. says. Get out of here. <laughs> so, and they got to a winner? Yeah, they ended up whittling it down to about one person, and he ended up winning. But it was really funny and entertaining to watch. I'm not going to lie. What was the prize? There's got to be something, right? Uh, it was sponsored by Michelob Ultra. I know that. I don't, I don't know what the prize was, though. I've never heard of that as a halftime show. I, I'd never seen it either, but it was by far the most entertaining halftime show I'd seen. It, it was it was in some ways better than the game. I, I forgot what happened Friday night. Did they they win or lose? They, I think they, they lost, They right? went to overtime, yeah. and they lost to the Philadelphia 76ers, who didn't play any of their starters. And all of it, the Atlanta Hawks played. Trey Young had a great game. He finished with like 28 and 20. One of the best games he's ever played, but they lost to no one. Did you see our next guest, Bob Rathman? I did. I'm excited to talk to him. Did you see him at the game? Was he was he there to do it? Yeah, he was there. Okay. Uh, no, I didn't uh, see him in person. My seats were a little further away than where he was posted up I with gotcha. Dominique. But. Do, you, uh, do you have anything from the halftime show to lead into him with Simon Says? I, I, I was trying to find a clip. I couldn't find anything. We'll have to ask Bob about okay, it. Okay, very good. And that'll be one of the questions you can pose to him. Bob Rathbun, the voice of the Hawks, is next. we got NBA playoffs beginning Tuesday night. Hawks will be involved in the first day of playoffs. Voice of the Hawks, TV voice, Bob Rathbun. Simon says, listen to Nick Wiggins. So we are efforting Bob, and I hope I gave you the right number. And he says, no. Hey, I'm entitled to one mistake for the day, right? Uh, apologize for that. Yeah, Bob uh, calls the games the uh, season. The regular season has come to an end. And the postseason begins tomorrow night. And the Atlanta Hawks, who finished the year at 500, and they will uh, be in action. 
against, uh, I can't even read my writing. Who are they playing? Well, anyway, they got the T-Wolves and Lakers in the other game. And the Hawks, as the eighth seed, uh, they'll also be in action uh, tomorrow night. And we want to get Bob. They finished like 41 and 41. It was one of those really strange years. You win one game, lose one. Oh, I'm sorry. The Hawks are at Miami. Okay. And the other game uh, is T-Wolves against the Lakers. And we don't know if Rudy Gobert is going to be there with them or not. Wednesday, the Chicago Bulls and Toronto. And then the other game will be Oklahoma City and the Pelicans. Pelicans uh, get a home game. As the ninth seed, they're hosting the 10th seed. You know, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Don't you think the teams out of the 7th and the 8th seeds should have the home game? Look, I'm not an expert on the NBA, but Bob Rathman, my good friend, is. Bob, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Mr. Shervanian, good morning. Great to have you on. By the way, will you be uh, involved in the telecast Tuesday night? I will not. That is a uh, TNT exclusive. We'll, well be back on the air this weekend in the playoffs so, if we make it. So how come, like, just a random thought, why wouldn't the seventh and the eighth seeds get a home game rather than the ninth-seeded team and then the seventh-seeded team? Well, they do get a home game. Uh, seven is at home, and then if eight loses, they get a home game on Friday. Okay. Thanks for bringing me back. See, I, I'm, I'm still not used to this play-in system. I, I'm, I, I, was just, I was always used to you start Saturday with four games and then Sunday with four. It was less complicated. To me, it's too complicated. Well, and you end up basically with the same bunch you would have had anyway. You know, that's the, the thing. I mean, last year we, we kind of broke through because we finished ninth and we were able to make it as the eighth seed. But um, you basically end up with the same guys that would have made it seven and eight anyway. So uh, it, it is it is a made-for-TV event. It is something to, they think, in the league office, will keep fan bases interested down the stretch uh, that normally would not be engaged. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, to get guys to not sit out and play hard. But, you know, it when you look at it, you would have had the same excitement this weekend going for seven and eight than you would have with any manufactured playing tournament. That's... I mean, the way it finished, you know, Toronto and Atlanta tied for eighth. And, you know, it came down to the tiebreaker, so you would have had that drama. And Chicago was only a game back, so you would have had that drama. In the West, you would have had the drama of the Lakers making it and maybe New Orleans not, you know, that, that put onus on that New Orleans-Minnesota game. So you would have had the same thing and not had to go through a playing tournament, in my opinion. Okay, Bob, now comes the real highlight of the show. I'm going to turn you over to our producer, but this is not like any producer. Uh, it's a tradition unlike any other, maybe. Nick Wiggins yeah. considers himself the number one podcaster in the NBA on the Gulf Coast, so uh, I hope you're braced for this. I am always ready for the insights of your producer. Hey, Bob, how's it going, man? Good, buddy. How you doing, Nick? 
I'm good, Bob. I was actually in Atlanta on Friday at that Sixers game. Unfortunately. Oh, okay. Was uh, so we we had our full lineup going on Friday night. The Sixers didn't play any of their starters. Trey Young almost had a thirty and twenty game, yet we still lost in overtime. What what was your takeaway from that? I thought overall the team checked out mentally. Um, you've got to respect your opponent. You know, these guys are all in the NBA. They all get paid. And a lot of them, like you saw, you know, the Shake Milton's of the world and people like that, uh, they want to get minutes. They want to play. And they're talented enough to get out there. And when they got their opportunity, they made the most of it. Now, they did, they did the same thing yesterday in Brooklyn. But when you got guys like George Niang hitting five threes and Jalen McDaniels hitting, uh, you know, for uh, 24 points and looking great, and guy like Daniel House uh, that you saw play well on Friday night, I just didn't think the Hawks played any defense at all. And they, you know, just kind of phoned it in. They thought the game was over in the fourth quarter, and it wasn't. And it, they got burned. That was my take. Yeah, no, I'm with you, Bob. But, I mean, they didn't move or drop a spot in their play-in seating. They're still sitting there at eight. So, I guess in the big scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Um, So, out of all these teams that are in the play-in, on the east and the west, who do you think Uh is the most uh, scary when it comes to the playoffs? Who do you think uh, has the biggest chance to actually be a contender and not a pretender? In both conferences or just the East? In, in both, yeah, East and West. Who do you think both. has the best shot? I would. I think you'd have to say the Lakers, right? Um, Minnesota, you know, they had a mutiny on the good ship Lollipop yesterday. New Orleans just does not have the personnel uh, without Zion, uh, I don't think, to make a serious run. OKC's happy to be there. So of the West teams, I would pick the Lakers. And in the East, I think... No matter who comes out of seven and eight, be it Miami, Toronto, Chicago, Atlanta, I, I would say uh, none of them are going to make a move because you've got the arguably the three best teams in the league filling up one, two, three in the East, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia. So, like, if we win tomorrow night, we get Boston. That, that doesn't look too good. But if we go to eight, we get Milwaukee. That doesn't look so hot. So, of all those eight teams you mentioned, I would have to go with the Lakers because of LeBron and AD playing at a high level. Uh, They've got some momentum. You know, they've won their last two and and seem to be playing better basketball. So, I would go with the Lakers right now. But if if, I will say this about Minnesota. If they get their act together and they have a, you know, little uh, kumbaya before tomorrow night, I would say that's a team that can give the Lakers problems because of their size, because of guys like Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, et cetera. Uh, That size will bother the Lakers much more so than any of the other two teams, like New Orleans. If they were to lose, they wouldn't have any trouble with New Orleans or Oklahoma City. But um, they might have a little trouble with Minnesota. But Minnesota is such a hot mess after what happened yesterday. Losing McDaniels is really going to hurt them. 
No, I, I agree. I, I'm with you on the Lakers. You know, the Lakers, they have the best record in the West since the All-Star break, and that's without LeBron playing most of those games. So they're definitely clicking at the right time. I think so, and, and kudos to Darvin Ham, I think, for holding it all in the road. Uh, you know, with all the drama and the shakeups and the trades and injuries, et cetera, you know, he's done an outstanding job, I thought, of, of keeping that all together. Uh, you know, I think, you know, some of these results over the last week, you just don't know what to make of them for the Lakers. Uh, I thought the big win at Minnesota was crucial. Uh, but beating Utah twice, a team that's not looking to win, beating Houston, uh, you know, they lost to the Clippers. Um, you know, I, I think probably the one win down the stretch that, that got most people's attention was the one over Phoenix. But, you know, nobody played. Durant didn't play. Booker didn't play. Chris Paul didn't play. Aiden didn't play. So that one kind of gets devalued a little bit in my book. But on the overall, yes, they have played better. So the season has finished. The Clippers finishes the five seed. They're going to have to unfortunately play the Phoenix Suns. I think them, Golden State, and the Lakers were all battling to try and get into that six seed. They didn't want to be too high, too low, so they could play Sacramento. Who, who do you think is going to come out of uh, the West in that series between Phoenix and the Clippers? Boy, that's a tough one to call. Uh, you know, the fact they went in there and beat them, uh, I think is, you know, really does a lot uh, for their psyche. I think uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a big game, you know, that both teams wanted to win. Uh, you know, I know that the Stars didn't play for Phoenix, but, uh, yeah, that, that's big. You know, when Kawhi is, is going to play, mid-30s to upper-30s in minutes, uh, even without Paul George. I, I think the Clippers are, are a team to be reckoned with. Um, you know, Russ played great um, yesterday. Um, I don't know. That's a hard one for me to pick. I, it's hard to go against KD um, because of, you know, obviously what he's done and what his record has been with the Suns. Uh, you got. I think you got to give the Suns the nod because of of home court. But uh, boy, I think that's got to be a great series. I would say let's go with Phoenix and seven. Bob, uh, Nick went to the game as you heard Friday and said the halftime show. Simon says was the best he's ever seen. Is that something that's done a lot up there, or was this a, a one time deal? Simon says at halftime. No, he he comes every year. Steve Max is his stage name. He's become a good friend because we see him all the time. And he is fabulous. Uh, how he does that, if you've never seen him, he plays the kids' game, as Simon says, and he's the ringleader. And he lines up two groups of fans, one on each foul line, and they play Simon Says. And it is so fast and so funny. Uh, it is great entertainment. And how he keeps it straight uh, is amazing. Just, you know, watch him on YouTube. I mean, it is, it is fabulous. And I would encourage... Uh, Anybody who needs uh, a gig like that, like uh, at a baseball game, at a college basketball game, something like that, uh, reach out to, to Steve because he is fantastic. It is a great show, and it's funny. I mean, it, the kids love it, obviously, but 
the adults like it too because he is so good. He's so witty. What does the winner get? Anything in particular or any prize or? Yeah, they get it. They got a well at our game. They got a beautiful prize package. Um, they got all kinds of stuff. What was it? They gave them a pair of shoes and. Oh yeah, that's. Um, yeah, they got a, a custom pair of Air Force Ones, I think. Yeah, so I mean, you walk away with a pretty good prize, and and the two finalists both win. Uh, uh, it's really great. They both win prize packages, so it's it's really good. Have you ever broadcast a game where two teammates punched one another? Boy, I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind. I mean, I've I've seen it in the locker room. I've seen it. You know, we had, you know, team playing, but I, I can't remember on the bench like that. And it must have been more egregious than we even saw because they sent him home. They told Rudy Gobert to go home. That was crazy. This is a guy that, let's say, they gave up four first rounders for, plus about half the team. To get it's like, and now they're going up, and we don't know. If, and, and then the other guy, McDaniel, as you pointed out, busts his hand. He's out. Yeah, it's um, the good ship lollipop was was taking on a lot of water yesterday. Say. So uh, one other question: uh, the NBA is going to investigate Dallas for tanking on Friday. Uh, the, the reason I brought it up was because, all right, I understand, you know, they, they, they list the players, this guy, calf injury, this guy. But then they put next to one of them, rest. <laughs> He's got the whole year to rest. They put rest yeah. next to one of them. How stupid is that? Well, you know, there's a lot going on between Mr. Cuban and the league. You'll recall the protest, I think, of a week ago uh, that had absolutely no merit. And that took up a lot of time and energy in the league office. And then he pulls this stunt. Uh, I don't think they're real happy with Cuban right now. And uh, I, I just don't, I don't understand the mindset of tanking at that point when you still have a chance to get in. It's not like they had been eliminated and you've rested everybody or you're, your playoff position was secure, and you rested people. He, they had a, a shot at making the playing tournament. And I don't know how you do that to your players, to your fans, to your stakeholders in terms of your TV uh, rights partners, your advertisers, your uh, everybody with the organization. I don't know how you do that. I mean, you. I've always felt, guys, that, Professional teams, major league teams, are in some ways a public trust that you owe it to your community uh, for all the things that good that have happened to you, uh, that you owe them your best effort with your best players every night. Now, we know that you're not going to win all the time. We understand that as fans. But you do owe us your best effort. And teams that do this, I do not understand. It would be like going to the restaurant and ordering a steak and the waiter comes out and says, you know, quite frankly, this, this steak is not that great. But if you come back, we're going to charge you the same price tonight. But if you come back three years from now, that steak is really going to be good. Yeah, I don't know how you do that to your patrons. I just don't. Uh, attacking to me 
there's so much more on the downside. Um, because what if you don't get the guy you're tanking for? You don't even know what draft position you're going to make. You know, that's why they call on a lottery. It, it just doesn't make much sense to me. I think you give it all you've got every night with who's available, you know, unless the guy's got a broken leg or something. But you get out there and you perform. And I, I don't know. It's sad to me to see teams do otherwise. And it seems to be worse in basketball than the others. I know the Astros and there are other examples in other sports. But I, I, I find it very distasteful. Bob, I can't thank you enough for joining. So will you be involved in broadcasting at all now with the postseason? Yes, we'll be back if we make the playoffs. We are just not allowed to do the playing tournament. Okay. So we are either going to go to Milwaukee or Boston this weekend if we if we make it. So we are standing by, bags are packed, ready to go. Hope you make it, and no matter what happens, I'd like to get you back on. Of course. You got it. Podcaster Nick uh, demands it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey, Bob, have a great day. I hope you had a wonderful Easter. Okay, we'll talk guys. to you later. Well, I appreciate you. Goodbye. He mentioned um, about Houston Astros. I'll, I'll, I'll address that when we come back. Uh, that, that was one of the, I guess when you look at baseball, one of the biggest tanking jobs ever. But look what it's done for them. For the last five, what, five, six years They've been a very relevant team and a very good team. And it all came about because they tanked. All right. Uh, for Nick, I'm Lee Shervaney, and closing ceremonies coming right up. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Just a few minutes will be gone. Uh, I'm Lee Shervaney and Nick Wiggins uh, behind the glass. Tomorrow, uh, Joe Gottfried is going to pay a visit and sit in with me. And Joe has lined up the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh, at 6.30 tomorrow morning. Ravens just announced they have signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year $18 million contract. And he was supposed to go visit the Jets today. That's not going to happen. So I uh, might want to listen to that. Hopefully we'll get a response to Lamar Jackson's situation. But you got to see it's connected because the Ravens have not had a wide receiver gain over 1,000 yards in three of the last four years. So with all the controversy over Lamar maybe wanting to leave, maybe that's the ticket to get him back. You know, we mentioned about tanking. Yes, it occurs in baseball, too. Many years ago, the Houston Astros tanked, like, for the whole season for a couple of years. And they kept getting these first-round draft picks, and they it, it paid off. They got uh, Korea, who's no longer with them. Uh, Springer was one that came to mind. And look how successful they've been. So it actually did work for them, uh, it made much to the chagrin of baseball, because they weren't too happy about it. It's always been my opinion the Pittsburgh Pirates tank every year, but they don't ever gain or get anywhere uh, because of it. So, you know, it does occur. Uh, football, yes, more notably now in basketball. So you you didn't see one starter in the 76ers lineup on Friday night? Nope. Not one? 
They set them all because, you know, they were locked into the three seed. They couldn't go up to two. They couldn't drop to four. Well, that's their decision. So right. who am I, mean, I to you know, say? You, you want to? But were you disappointed not to see Embiid at least? Yeah, I'm a, I like Embiid. I'm a big Embiid fan. I'm a, I'm a big James Harden fan. Um, you know, and when I originally got these tickets, I was hoping that maybe this game would be a little more meaningful for the two teams. But I mean, the game was entertaining. The Hawks they they put on a good show, even though they lost. But it was an overtime loss, so. That was fun to experience. Um, but, you know, that's just how it is when you get to the very, very end of the season. It's basically, you know, like the very last week of the NFL. They're not playing their starters if they're not having a chance to move up. Or so down. do you change your opinion now on all this that you're like maybe you understand it, but you're not happy about it? It's just one of those un kind of unfortunate things. Uh, you know, I understand it from the team's perspective because what if Embiid were to play in a meaningless game, doesn't matter at all for the Sixers. Like I said, they can't move up or down. And what if Embiid were to tear his ACL or something? Then everyone would be criticizing Philadelphia for playing him in a game that didn't mean anything. So you go to a game like that and, and you come away, in a sense, upset because you don't see the, the best of the Sixers, but then you come away... Even more disappointed because your team lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would that's a that's double frustration right there. Yeah, it was. What uh, what are tickets going for now for an NBA game? Uh, it depends when when you buy them or or who you're watching. Are they fifty? Are they a hundred? I mean, I mean, it, it, if you if I were to have waited till right when that game started and paid fifty bucks, you know, coming off the news that Harden and Embiid weren't playing, I bet I could have probably been riding those front 20 rows i'm sure nick we'll be back tomorrow you and i and our guest host joe Gottfried. we've got uh, travis ryer also lined up to join us jerry palm will appear on college basketball and we've got some other things in the works too uh, we invite you to stay tuned for the Dan Patrick Show. That's very entertaining. Uh, Chuck Oliver from 1 to 3. And then we've got uh, Corey Labani coming along at 3. And, uh, again, uh, Nick in his NBA podcast with Stephen Root. That'll be – that's on Wednesdays. All our podcasts now are 5.30. What's this week? Football, I think? Yeah, this week's going to be the NFL show. Gotcha. It is currently 8.58 coming up, 8.59 this Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. From the University of Alabama, this is Crimson Tide Today. It's daily update on Bama sports, and it's brought to you by C Spire. C Spire, Alabama's fastest internet for your business or home. Learn how to add gigabit C Spire fiber to your roster at cspire.com slash AL fiber. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover. Baseball head coach Brad Bohannon joined us on the radio following Alabama's weekend series with Mississippi State. Look, you just got to keep playing. This league is an absolute bear. Everybody's got a top 50 RPI. Seven of the top ten league teams in the league uh, in the country are, are in our conference, and it's not going to be easy. I mean, everybody's good. You know, we got to make a couple more pitches. We got to get a couple more big hits, and um, you know, I don't think we need to be looking at the big picture right now. We just need to take a day tomorrow and enjoy Easter and 
be back to work on Monday, get back in a uh, winning track on, on Tuesday against a really good Southern Miss team. I'll have more in a moment. Hear that? That's Seaspire Country on a Saturday. And while fans show up for their teams, Seaspire Business is here to help the stadium's team up their IT game. While the players run ironclad defense, all world-class IT experts do the same with state-of-the-art network security. While the running backs redefine fast, Touchdown! we do too with warp speed connectivity. Discover IT solutions to scale up your business and future-proof operations. Welcome to Seaspire Country, where blazing fast is how we roll. Visit cspire.com slash business for Details. Join us tonight for Hey Coach, presented by Alpha Insurance at 6 p.m. Central at Baumhauer's Victory Grill in Tuscaloosa. We'll be joined by women's tennis head coach Jenny Mines, along with softball head coach Patrick Murphy and Alabama football defensive back Malachi Moore. Hey Coach is available to listen to across our radio network, streaming live on the Varsity Network app. And don't forget as well about the video stream available on all CTSN social media platforms. Crimson Tide Today is brought to you by Seaspire. Crimson Tide Today is a production of the Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield.